Good morning, wherever you are, and welcome to St. Michael's in the Morning, a podcast series encompassing everything from sermons and services to special audio presentations, brought to you by St. Michael's Episcopal Church in Austin, Texas. For more information or to make a donation to St. Michael's, please visit www.st-michaels.org. Good morning. My name is Christine Havens, and I'm the Administrative and Communications Assistant here at St. Michael's. This is Episode 4 of a limited podcast series covering the Book of Common Prayer. Last week, we took an in-depth look at the Liturgy of the Holy Eucharist, explaining and expanding on every section as we went along to gain a better understanding of the theology behind the practices that shape our worship. This episode will take a similar approach to the liturgies of the daily office, starting on page 36. But before we begin, I should point out that, in many ways, the daily office liturgy has the same sort of shape as the section containing the liturgy of the Word in the Holy Eucharist. So instead of restating information that we covered last week, we will be focusing more narrowly on what differences, if any, exist between the two. As we go along, we will also provide a sort of tutorial on how to pray the daily office, including a primer in using the lectionary. The daily office section of the prayer book begins with the right one versions of the offices, as we saw last week in the section containing the Holy Eucharist. In this section, however, the differences between Rite 1 and Rite 2 are even less pronounced and could almost entirely be summed up as differences in style but not in content. And the only meaningful factor setting them apart is preference. Again, we will be using Rite 2 as our map for exploring morning and evening prayer. These start on page 75. Morning and evening prayer are both practically identical in their structure, so we will be covering them at the same time, using morning prayer as the rubric and pointing out any differences in their content as they become relevant. Both services are written under the assumption that they are being prayed by families or individuals at home. As such, The role of officiant may be exercised by anyone, lay or ordained. The service begins with an opening sentence from scripture to set the tone for what is to follow. This section contains a multitude of opening sentences for every season of the church calendar and for a variety of special occasions, as well as some that may be used at any time. Next follows the confession of sin and the Declaration of Forgiveness, which are the same ones used in the Eucharist service. The Declaration of Forgiveness here, however, contains one difference. It has a rubric for how to change the statement if the person saying it is not a priest. So instead of a second-person perspective, you, the statement would be made in a first-person plural form, us. As we explained in last week's episode, in our tradition, 
We believe the priest's role is not to forgive our sins on behalf of God, but to declare that forgiveness and absolution to us. But the pronouncement of the forgiveness of sins isn't exclusive to those called into the ordained priesthood. Our tradition also upholds the priesthood of all believers, and the change of language into us reflects the idea that lay people, as a whole, share in the priestly vocation, even if individual lay persons may not occupy the ordained office. Next follows the invitatory, which is the quote-unquote official beginning of the liturgy. The opening dialogue, Lord, open our lips, and the response, and our mouths shall proclaim their praise, comes from Psalm 51, perhaps the most well-known of the penitential psalms. In the more ancient versions of this liturgy, which, if you recall from episode 1, came from the monastic liturgy of the hours, the confession of sin was absent, and this opening was the invitation to repentance. At that time, it was assumed the participants would have a constant practice of confession with their priests or abbots, and there was no perceived need for a formal confession beyond an invitation for private reflection. Although the Anglican liturgy later added the confession beforehand, the BCP indicates that one can begin the service with the invitatory if desired. After the opening follows the Gloria Patri, glory to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. This short doxology was originally introduced into the liturgy to assert the doctrine of the Trinity against Arians, an early sect of Christians who did not believe in a triune God. Now it serves a less polemical purpose, but it is still a powerful theological statement that is meant to frame our prayers in a conviction that God, as revealed in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, is the God we are offering up our prayers to. After the Gloria Patri follows the Invitatory Psalms, which are traditionally either the Venite, Psalm 95, or the Jubilate, Psalm 100. These Psalms in particular are exhortations for God's people to come and be joyful helping us transition from the penitential opening of the office and into the jubilant life of fellowship with God. The BCP offers several antiphons for the invitatory psalms, which may be said or sung at the beginning and end of the psalm, or in between sections of the text. Antiphonal reading of psalms is more common in the chanted or sung arrangements, although spoken antiphons are not unheard of. This particular section of morning prayer can be confusing or intimidating to people new to the tradition, so there is value in articulating that the invitatory psalm may be said without an antiphon at all, and that is a perfectly appropriate and correct usage of the liturgy. Before moving on to the next section, I would like to make two observations. First, in morning prayer you may notice there is a third invitatory psalm in the text 
entitled Christ Our Passover. This psalm is constructed using several passages of scripture in the New Testament, and it is traditionally used during Easter season in celebration of the resurrection. The second observation is that evening prayer only has one invitatory psalm, O Gracious Light. This is an ancient Christian hymn that has been used as part of prayers in the evening, dating back to the third century, even before there was a formal liturgy for evening prayer. Traditionally, it is sung while lamps or candles are being lit, and its lyrics make very clear what significance we ought to draw from that connection. The psalm appointed for the day is listed in the Daily Office Lectionary, which we will cover shortly, and can be found in the Psalter starting on page 585. And as we mentioned in an earlier episode, the psalms in the Psalter are metered for public reading, chanting, and for musical arrangement. That is to say, they have been modified slightly to better fit a poetic cadence in English as they do in the original language. This also means they might contain slight differences to translations found in a regular Bible, but the content is maintained consistently across the adaptation. The lessons appointed for the day are also found in the Daily Office Lectionary, starting on page 934. The lectionary has assigned daily readings on a two-year cycle, year one and year two, which begins in Advent. Because Advent is always the four Sundays before Christmas, that means the yearly cycle is a little off sync with our regular calendar, but it helps to remember that when trying to figure out whether we are in year one or year two, we should look at the year that is coming up. In Advent of 2019, we started year two because 2020 is an even-numbered year. In Advent 2020, we start year one because 2021 is an odd-numbered year. On every day in the lectionary, the assigned readings include two or more psalms, which are split by a dotted symbol to denote which are the options for morning prayer on the left, and evening prayer on the right. Below the Psalms are three verses of scripture, an Old Testament reading, an epistle reading from the New Testament, and a gospel reading. It is traditional that the Old Testament and New Testament readings be done at morning prayer and the gospel reading done in the evening. You may also choose to do all three in a single sitting especially if you don't pray both offices daily. As it is laid out, the lectionary covers the entirety of the New Testament every year. Some of the shorter books might even be covered more than once. The major narrative books of the Old Testament are covered every two years, and the entirety of the Old Testament is covered in a sort of hidden six-year cycle. The reason that it is hidden is because of the variation of the season after Pentecost. Every year the season ends four Sundays before Christmas, but it might well begin a few weeks earlier or later 
every year depending on when Easter is celebrated. These hidden weeks are where the lectionary covers some of the minor prophets and other portions of the Old Testament that do not commonly make light reading. This is, in some ways, a simplified way to explain it, but the main idea is that the daily office lectionary is crafted in such a way that if it is followed daily, one would be reading through scripture in regular cycles throughout our lifetimes. Between the lessons, the rubrics for the daily office include numbered canticles, or short hymns of praise that can be spoken, chanted, or sung in response to the reading. As mentioned before in a previous episode, a table of suggested canticles can be found on page 144 to help develop a rhythm of prayer and include all the canticles, but one can always choose one freely. After the Gospel reading, the response is always the Apostles' Creed. This shorter creed is also in the first person, making it a more private and individual confession of faith than the Nicene Creed used in Sunday worship. After the creed, the prayers begin with the Lord's Prayer, followed by short suffrages, or prayers of intercession, of which the Rite to Liturgy offers a choice of two. Prayers conclude with a Collect of the Day. On Monday through Thursdays, the Collect of the Day is the same as the Collect of the Day for the Sunday morning worship, and those can be found in contemporary language starting on page 211. However, in place of the Collect of the Day, it is also common to use one or more of the following Collects, a Collect for Peace, a Collect for the Renewal of Life, a Collect for Grace, and a Collect for Guidance. These can all be found within the service. After the Collect, or Collects, for the day, then follows a Collect for Mission, which is a prayer specifically interceding for the state of God's Church and for the ministers and mission of the Church. In older BCPs, This section would contain language that referred to ministers specifically as ordained clergy, but the 1979 BCP tends to use more inclusive language to, once again, emphasize the shared vocation that all believers possess of being ministers of the gospel. The rubrics then allow for free-form intercessions and the singing of hymns before concluding the service with one or both of the following prayers, the General Thanksgiving and the Prayer of St. Chrysostom. These prayers of Thanksgiving are meant to bookend both the prayers and the service as a whole by concluding it in a much more joyful place than the penitential opening of the offices. After the prayers are concluded, A parting blessing is said by the officiant to finish off morning and evening prayer. You might notice that so far we have only covered the morning and the evening services, 
but the daily office section also contains a few more items. Two of these, Noonday Prayer and Compline, are often called the Lesser Hours, as they are adapted from the breviaries of the Catholic and Eastern Orthodox monasteries. They are only offered in Rite II, since they were not present in any BCP before 1979, and their inclusion is meant to offer more options to encourage Christians to have a daily prayer practice. They each can be said in as short as five minutes, short enough to be prayed during a lunch break or right before bed. Their structure follows the same as morning and evening prayer, but they are stripped down to their basic parts and the psalm and the readings are limited to just a few excerpts, although one can replace those with the lectionary readings if desired. In a similar fashion, the 1979 BCP also includes shortened versions of all the offices on page 136. The daily devotions for families and individuals also offer streamlined prayer rubrics to aid Christians in developing a daily prayer practice. Also, like Compline and Noonday Prayer, these have pre-selected psalms and readings, but those may be replaced with the lectionary if so desired. Having explored the daily office portion of the Book of Common Prayer, it is my hope that you don't just have a better understanding of how the services are structured, but that you also feel encouraged to try to incorporate them into your regular prayer practice, if you don't already. There are no penalties for not completing the daily office every day, and for that matter, there are no prizes for faithfully praying one or more daily. The daily offices are written for our benefit as a resource for developing a daily prayer practice that includes repentance, scripture reading, intercession, and thanksgiving. There is no equation for what qualifies as a good prayer life, but including those elements is meant to give us a place to start. It is only through growth in love for God that we will find a rhythm of prayer that best fits our lifestyle and preferences, and growth only comes through practice. And the BCP offers to us a great teacher for this practice in the liturgies for daily offices. <music>